Hello and welcome to Matrix Chambers ESG Winter 2024 series of insights and events. I'm Jamis Hodivala, a barrister at Matrix Chambers in London. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast, which I've called What's Your Beef? The cattle industry is considered to be one of the largest contributors to deforestation on the planet, with one study in 2008 estimating cattle ranching to be responsible for 80% of deforestation in the Amazon. But putting burgers and steaks on people's plates remains a highly profitable industry, with one, the Brazilian giant JBS, currently battling to float on the New York Stock Exchange. Between 2013 and 2021, four French banks are said to have invested nearly $70 million in three major meat and leather companies, JBS, Minerva and Marfrig, at a time when deforestation in the Amazon hit an all-time high. My guests today are from the French NGO Sherpa, which in November last year, issued a criminal complaint to French prosecutors alleging that these French banks were involved in money laundering the proceeds of environmental crimes committed by those cattle companies. Thea Bonfour is a Paris environmental lawyer who has taught administrative and environmental law at the Sorbonne and Paris Pantheon SS universities. Before joining Sherpa as an environmental litigation officer in 2021, she was a litigator of environmental protection cases in the area of biofuels, air pollution and planning. Jean-Philippe Vogel is a litigation officer specialising in illicit financial money flows. He was previously a doctoral fellow at Paris Nanterre University and a resident fellow at the Information Society Project based at Yale Law School and was an expert to several international organisations on whistleblower protection before joining Sherpa in 2022 as a litigation officer. Welcome to both of you and thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, Thea, I'd like to start with you first, if that's okay. We're obviously going to talk in a, a bit more detail about the fascinating money laundering case that Sherpa's currently involved with. But before we do that, can we just discuss a little bit more about what Sherpa does and who it is? Yes, sure. And thank you for the invitation. So Sherpa is a French NGO. Um, we are a team of lawyers who use the law as a tool to fight the impunity linked to the globalization of economic and financial exchanges, and also to defend the victims of economic crimes. Um, we've lodged complaints and judicial actions against multinationals for human rights and environmental abuses in their international supply chains, or for instance, their involvement in um, international corruption cases. Um, we work through litigation, advocacy, legal research, and capacity sharing activities. Okay, and just give us a, a sort of flavour of, of some of the recent sort of cases you've been involved in. So I know Lafarge Concrete has been one that, that Sherpa have taken a very proactive role in. Yes, and we also, uh, I'm, I'm more specifically working on environmental and climate cases. So we also have uh, launched a judicial election against Total Energy for uh, the, the impact of uh, its activities on climate together with other um, French NGOs uh, and local municipalities. And we have also a very interesting case uh, against the, the French multinational Perenco for uh, ecological damage in Democratic Republic of Congo. And um, Sherpa has uh, a sort of particular status in France, doesn't it? So over here in the UK, NGOs are pressure organisations, they often bring strategic litigation, but, but Sherpa has a sort of 
particular status in France, doesn't it, in terms of its access to French prosecutors and the criminal courts. Um, Jean-Philippe, I wonder if you could just sort of very quickly talk us through that a little bit. Yes, thank you for the invitation. Um, yes, we have a special status in a specific realm, that is the realm of corruption and money laundering. Uh, in France, uh, most NGOs would have to battle to be able to be a civil party before a criminal judge in matters as money laundering, a concealment, and economic crime. And Sherpa is among the three NGOs that have a specific right from the Ministry of Justice to go to the court and be a civil party like a victim. It's not really like being a private prosecutor, but it gives us a lot of procedural rights that most other NGOs don't have. I see. So you sort of have um, special access, I suppose, to the, the criminal justice system. Is that a fair way of putting it? Exactly, yes. Right, I see. And let's just move on then to, to the money laundering complaint itself. So that was filed last November with the French prosecuting authorities, wasn't it? And that was against the four banks, BNP, Paribas, Credit Agricole, BPCE and AXA. And uh, Jean-Philippe, can you just give us a bit more detail about precisely what the detail of the complaint was? Yes, indeed, we filed a, com a criminal complaint against the four banks for money laundering. To our knowledge, that's the first time, not only in France, but uh, likely in Europe or even in the world, that we that money laundering is used as a basis for prosecuting banks. Well, uh, the, 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 the complaint was based on the financing of JBS and Mayfrick, two big uh, meat packers from Brazil who are involved in deforestation. Uh, we worked with a lot of, we worked with two um, journalists. Uh, we worked with Reporter Brazil, who is a consortium of investigative journalists specialized in environmental crime in Brazil, as well as the Center for Climate Crime Analysis, which is an NGO uh, like Global Witness, it's an NGO that is specialized in investigating environmental crime. So in the course of the investigations that were made, uh, we found out that uh, almost 50% of the suppliers of JBS in Mato Grosso and almost 40% of the suppliers of uh, Marfrig in Mato Grosso and the Amazon had ir irregularities not only deforestation, but also a lot of irregularities in, involving um, cattle ranching in deforestated lands, which is a criminal activity, uh, both in Brazilian law and in French law. So uh, the aim of the complaint is to question the financing by the banks of these suppliers, because we do think that uh, in the current wording of money laundering, both in France, but also in most European countries, uh, money laundering uh, is not only concealing the origins of um, of crime, but is also it's also about assisting uh, banks or, or or assisting environmental criminals in replacing in the legal circuit uh, what is the proceeds of crime. And given given the level of irregularities and the fact that deforestation is a systemic issue in Brazil, uh, we do think that uh, money laundering uh, is the right legal basis to prosecute the financing of such actors? Well, it's, it's, it's probably not the first time that banks have been involved in money laundering investigations, but I think what's so unique about this particular case is the use of money laundering laws together with environmental crime to sort of 
look at how money laundering laws can be used to advance environmental purposes. Exactly, yes. The FATF has been pushing for this for years, and I think some regulators have been trying to go down that road. But I don't think money laundering has been used as a way to tackle environmental crime before court before. And so you've mentioned that there were sort of concerns, I suppose, about the use of deforested land for cattle ranching. Was that the criminality that that Sherpa were looking at exploring with this particular complaint then? Yes, yes, totally. And and in terms of criminality, just explain a little bit more about why cattle ranching on deforested land is criminal. Uh, it's it's criminal because um, it's criminal because of um, b- b- because of the ways illegal deforestation works in Brazil, uh, the way uh, lands are deforested. Um, they deforest lands through either arson or illegal cutting of trees, which are two offenses that are um, which are which is which are two criminal behaviors that are offenses in French law, and in in the context of money laundering. Uh, money laundering is about um, laundering money from a predicate crime that would qualify as a crime in France as well. I see. Okay. And so, what does do Sherpa, sort of more widely, what does Sherpa see as the links between environmental crime and, and money laundering? I mean, obviously, you brought this case, but are, are there sort of wider links that Sherpa see between money laundering and environmental crime? You've mentioned FATF, for instance. You mean in general? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, in 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 general, as I, as I said, money laundering is often viewed as something that is necessarily hidden or sketchy. But uh, in, money laundering is increasingly about uh, not only about uh, schemes that are illegal by themselves or hidden, but it's also about financial intermediaries or legal or the legal profession not uh, implementing their duty of vigilance under anti-laundering laws in a way that, in, in, in a good way. In that specific case, uh, what the banks did was not illegal by itself. They invested in bonds that helped uh, Mayfrig and GBS to have additional funding. It's like, it's almost like a loan. But given the record, given the, hist- the history of these meatpackers of being involved in environmental crime, they should have been aware that a lot of a lot of their profits were, were proceeds of crime. And then when you invest under French money laundering laws, at least if you invest, if a professional like a bank invests in a corporation that is publicly known as being involved in criminal activity, including environmental criminality, that is money laundering because this helps through the profits uh, to reintroduce the proceeds of crime into the legal circuit. And the bonds, especially, is a very regulated one. So that's clearly money laundering. So the, the the allegation was, I think, that the banks had invested in bonds in the issued by the companies, and the bonds were being repaid using the profits, effectively, from from these meat companies. Is that right? Exactly. It's the act of repaying the bonds and taking profits from it that is under French case law and money laundering. And there's there's lots of NGOs around the world who uh, obviously bring cases, strategic cases, but um, equally see PR campaigns as being very powerful tools 
in terms of holding companies accountable that they want to. Just just talk us through a little bit about whether Sherpa considered a PR campaign and if it did, sort of why it rejected that as a, a way forward in this particular case. Well, um, we work with some NGOs who do campaigning and sometimes we would even we, we, we would even be part of campaigns. But Sherpa in general is not a campaigning NGO uh, because, uh, well, uh, compared to other NGOs that do campaigning, uh, the way Sherpa works, the, the way Sherpa works is mainly based on strategic litigation. What we want to advance is not only changing at a time what the corporation are doing, but we want systematic change in the law in the long term. So that's why we always we 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 we, we don't only seek that um, corporations change their behaviors. We also want the courts to have a good case law so that other NGOs or victims in the South can have access to new legal basis to prosecute um, to, to to prosecute corporations. And if you if yes. Yeah, the legal framework effectively around around this concept is, is what you're trying to achieve. Is that right? Yeah, we want to yeah. change the legal framework, not only doing campaign and not only do public advocacy. Okay. So just sort of focusing on the role of the banks then in relation to, to the complaint. We've covered the bonds uh, and the repayment of the bonds as effectively being the money laundering. Um, Jean-Philippe, how, how did you go about establishing, getting the evidence together for the money laundering complaint? Well, uh, we had to find the evidence about the predicate crime, deforestation. So as I said, we worked with CCCA and Report of Brazil on finding reports and doing additional investigations on the scale of deforestation and also the links between JBS and deforestation or Mayfrig and deforestation. And that was also an issue that was not, it was quite hard because the supply chain of uh, these meat packers is quite complex. Sometimes... So, so just to, sorry, just to explain. So Reporter Brazil and CCCA, they're, they're investigative journalists, are they? Reporter Brazil is, is an investi are investigative journalist indeed, and CCCA is an investigative NGO. NGO, they are um, researchers doing research on environmental crime and deforestation. So you you were working with them to establish first of all there had been deforestation in relation to uh, JBS and and Marfrig's supply chains. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say how how long did that take? What sort of time scale was it? We worked almost two years on this. I mean. And even three years, because before filing the complaint, we had we worked with a legal clinic from Sciences on assessing uh, whether that could work or not. We had a positive answer, so then uh, we worked to build a coalition with CCCA and Reporter Brazil and other actors. And then the investigative uh, stage uh, lasted more than one year because. We had to investigate the supply chains of JBS and Mayfrick, which is quite hard because sometimes it's easy when JBS or Mayfrick are buying cattle directly to suppliers who are involved in deforestation, but sometimes deforestation happens in among second tier or even third tier suppliers. So we had to sort out that and also Investigating the money flows was was also took time because we had to work with experts on that field, because 
some of the data is public, but other crucial data about the profits, about um, the exact amount of, of what was invested uh, and the precise timeline was not always public. So we had to work with people doing investig doing doing financial investigations to trace back, to, to trace the flows from the banks to the meatpackers. And were these investigative journalists again, or were they uh, other other sort of investigative techniques? We worked with Forest and Finance, uh, which is a group of uh, researchers working on that issue. We also work with people from Profondo, which is also an NGO that investigates this kind of thing. So we worked with we worked with researchers rather than investigative journalists on the financial investigations. I see. So I mean, the Sherpa. And I think various other organizations have actually filed the complaint. But from what you're saying, it was a, a massive effort from coordinating resources amongst a, a large group of investigative journalists, NGOs and so on. Yes, it's a complex it's a complex case. So we knew from the very outset that we could not do this on our own because we knew that we would have to to, we to, to rely on journalists and researchers to find the accurate information. The complaint that you filed to the French prosecutors, did you actually hand over to the prosecutors evidence of the financial flows that you talked about? Yes, yes, sure. Uh, when we file when we file criminal complaints, we usually uh, wait until we have enough evidence and data so that the prosecutor can have access to all the relevant data and so that we have more chances that the prosecutor will actually launch an investigation. So we just gathered the evidence and sent everything to the prosecutor. And we talked about the financial flows. One of the things you talked about was the, the bonds as well. I mean, these, these bonds were issued by these cattle companies, right? Yes. And how did you go about sort of investigating uh, the repayments on the bonds and the sources of the funds that have been used to repay the banks and so on? Well, uh, we worked with investigative researchers on knowing when exactly the bonds were repaid. And as for the sources, it was it's, it's actually impossible to, to define, to, to, to be sure that a specific uh, flow uh, was, um, came from deforestation. So what happens in French law and I think it's also the case in most other countries, at least in continental Europe, is that uh, there is a is that once uh, you're able to prove that a corporation or an individual uh, is doing a lot of is is um, taking a lot of profits from illegal activity, and that was that that is, that is we think the case here because from the from the reports of CCCA we were able to determine that on the samples at least that we investigated more than forty percent of the cattle sent, uh, sold by JBS and Mayfrit came from deforested lands. Once you're able to determine that, there is a presumption that uh, the flows that are used uh, to repay the bonds, for example. Uh, come from the proceeds of crime. And it's up to the corporation then to prove that it's absolutely not the case. But that's how the case law works because by definition, money laundering is, um, is usually a hidden crime. So if we had to prove that, uh, 
if we had to be too specific about the evidence concerning the financial flows, even the prosecutors could not prosecute any corporation. I see. So there's a, there's a presumption, provided you've established uh, that I suppose criminality forms part of the business operations. It's then a question of of the the company having to prove that actually the money used to repay these bonds was legitimate. Yes, uh, it's. It's not exactly a presumption, strictly legally speaking, but it's just that because there's no presumption in criminal law for obvious reasons, but um, the case, the, it, it's just the way the case law has been construing money laundering in France in a way that is broad enough to allow prosecution. And Taya, just, just sort of moving on to the environmental aspects of the complaint. Um, the, the European Commission itself has introduced the deforestation regulation and has made perfectly plain that it sees climate change as an existential threat to the Union and has, has released a, a range of legislation, hasn't it, in relation to the, these environmental and climate related issues. Um, I'm thinking of the deforestation regulation, you've got the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, various other uh, due diligence uh, regulations and directives that have come into play. Um, and also the UK has talked about introducing similar sorts of legislation. But one, one of the features about Sherpa's complaint was that it related to illegal deforestation, didn't it? Yes, you're right. So um, there's the, the complaint relies on illegal deforestation uh, associated crimes. So maybe a, a small um, definition of what actually illegal deforestation is. Um, it covers deforestation that is carried out in violation of laws and regulations, and in particular domestic ones, um, aimed at protecting forests or the ecosystems and protected areas, um, as well as also an important aspect, the rights of indigenous people. And for instance, in, in Brazil, you have the, the Brazilian Forest Protection Rules and the IBAMA, the Environmental Enforcement Agency, can impose these legal blocks or uh, embargoes on land that has been illegally cleared. So uh, this should prevent farmers from using the, the, the damaged land and block meat packers also from buying any cattle from that land. Um, to get back to the complaints, we've, as Jean-Philippe mentioned, compiled numerous source resources, such as the field investigations from Reported Brazil and reports from other NGOs. Uh, showing that um, the meatpackers, GBS, Morphic, the, the world biggest meatpacking companies, they do buy cattle that comes from farms uh, linked to illegal deforestation. And we also provide specific examples of the farms that were subject to an embargo from IBAMA and where the farmers have, for instance, been sentenced uh, by heavy fines. Uh, and also, also there's the issue of cattle laundering itself, um, which is another illegal or criminal practice in Brazil, um, refer referring to meat producers' efforts to hide the illegal origin of, of the beef. Um, for instance, cattle can be sold or transferred to farms with no record of illegal deforestation. And then the, the clean farms, how to, so to say, sells the cattle to slaughterhouses. And in our complaint, we, we are using... So, so just to explain that a little yeah. bit. So, so you get cattle raised on illegally deforested land, yeah. but before they're sent off for slaughter, the cattle are shipped off to areas where there isn't the same issue about illegal deforestation. Exactly. So the, the, pa the paperwork shows that the cattle 
to the slaughterhouse have actually come from legitimate areas. That, that exactly, and then uh, at the end, the the, the meatpacking company just can just uh, provide uh, some evidence that it, it has been buying cattle from a clean uh, farm. And, and it also it's also a, an issue of com very complex supply chains that is very difficult to trace uh, and get evidence of the deforestation um, at the first place and what Jean-Philippe mentioned before. So how we use this data in our complaint is also that we, sh we, we use all of this data on illegal deforestation to show that this acts, the, the predicate offense and the criminal practices are criminalized under French criminal law, for example, um, under the qualifications of illegal logging or uh, land clearing under forestry law. So this is how we, we, we do the connection here. So I can, understand, I can understand the concept of illegal deforestation, as I'm sure many listeners can as well. But um, legal deforestation is somewhat curious, isn't it? Because the idea that you can legally deforest land and that's not a criminal offence is obviously very relevant to your complaint. Just explain to listeners how it was that you established that land had been illegally deforested as opposed to legally deforested. Yeah, just as we, 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 we're relying on the predicate often, how to say, because the main offense is money laundering. So we don't have to get into that, that much details about the predicate offense. But it's true that we are um, providing these resources to show that there has been illegal deforestation. For instance, as I mentioned, the number of farms that were have been uh, imposed illegal uh, blocks or embargo also show the illegality of their deforestation or the field investigations that uh, can make a connection between a farm and a farmer that had been fined by uh, heavy fines in Brazil also show these connections. Or for instance, another connection can be that you have a farm that has been developing on a protected area under Brazilian law, um, because you have also this, this protected areas or also uh, indigenous territories that should be protected from uh, cattle ranching. So this is also other um, also uh, pieces of evidence of the illegality of the initial deforestation. And also an important point, it's not very difficult here to say that the deforestation is illegal. So it's not the domain the, the, the demonstration should not be too difficult here, given the number of resources we have on this trend and on the report that have been issued uh, this uh, past years. And you've mentioned that illegal deforestation under domestic laws. Were there any French laws that were relevant to, to the investigation and the complaint? Yes, so um, French law does not provided for an autonomous or general offense of deforestation, so to say, um, as it is, for instance, the case in Brazil. So we've tried to be innovative and in looking at offenses in the forestry codes or the criminal codes. For example, um, the complaint relies on the offense of illegal logging or land clearing um, under the French forestry code. And the complaint also based on the offense of um, voluntarily setting up a forest fire as provided for in the criminal code, which is Article 322 uh, uh, of the French Criminal Code. And uh, the issue is, why is it relevant in our case? But we have several data, again, the connection with the, the data and the, the work of the journalists and, and NGOs is that, for instance, we have data from the EPAM, the Amazon Environmental Research Institute, that show that the number of forest fires and deforestations are closely linked. So 
what is interesting also about this this offense is that it provides for aggravating circumstances in cases where the forest fire was of such a nature as to expose people to physical injury or to create irreversible damage to the environment. Um, and we obviously know that the rate of deforestation in the Amazon is, is much higher than previous, previously thought. So um, as a result, there is a risk of, of, of reaching a really a tipping point with um, irreversible and catastrophic consequences for the environment um, and the global climate system. That's fascinating. And Jean-Philippe, just turning back to the money laundering side of the complaint and the investigation, why did Sherpa sort of want to focus on money laundering as the basis of its complaint? That's an issue that we, we have thought about this issue for years. And we do think that money laundering is maybe, maybe the right legal basis to prosecute environmental crimes where the funding of banks is involved, but also to tackle uh, the role of intermediaries in facilitating financial flows to corporations that do environmental crime. First of all, strategically, uh, in continental systems, you know that the prosecutor has very wide investigative powers. So if they launch an investigation, it will it means that um, it means that it will be public, and also it means that uh, the prosecutors will be able to dig to dig deep into. Uh, the bank's whereabouts, which is quite deterrent. And also, importantly, a lot of uh, prosecutors and NGOs in South America are looking closely at the case because if an investigation is launched in a um, Western country like France, this may also be a positive signal. And it may also encourage prosecutors in these countries to prosecute themselves, um, the meatpackers and their money laundering. Second, uh, it's also because money laundering, uh, unlike other laws, is something global. I mean, the regulation is global. Uh, there has been um, a convention uh, in Europe, in the Council of Europe, since 1992. Uh, there, there has been more than five directives. The last directive on money laundering in the European Union is the sixth one. And money laundering involves a lot of duty of, of anti-money laundering duty of vigilance that uh, relies on professionals. Uh, they should report anything that is suspicious in their transactions. So we do hope that using money laundering will encourage um, financial intermediaries to be much more vigilant about um, who, who, who they are funding, who are their clients. Uh, so this may help them to stop turning a blind eye or, on on environmental crime because that actually worked at least partially as regards corruption or sanctions against Russians, for example, or the financing of terrorism. But they usually turn a blind eye uh, on environmental crime, even though environmental crime is also a predicate crime. It uh, it's, it's, it also can be. You, if you're a bank, you're also supposed to be vigilant about uh, your client, your clients when they may be involved in an environmental crime. And finally, as I said, uh, there is an harmonized approach in Europe on money laundering. The definition of money laundering in the EU, uh, but also in neighboring countries like uh, Georgia, for example, is pretty much the same. So we also think that using money laundering as a case and winning that case in France would send a positive signal to NGOs or 
if or any other victims in other European countries that would empower them to also use money laundering as a, as such a basis to tackle environmental crime in other EU uh, countries. That's that's how Sherpa work. We don't usually replicate uh, complaints on the same legal basis, but we but doing strategic litigation for us is is about um, using new legal basis so that uh, it will empower other NGOs to do the same in other cases. And that's precisely what money laundering allows. And I mean, the interesting thing, I suppose, about the sixth anti-money laundering directive is that it introduces, I think for the first time, environmental crime as a predicate offence. Uh, so clearly the EU has recognised the sort of shift in emphasis towards money laundering the proceeds from environmental crime. Um, and we also talked about FATF, the Financial Action Task Force. Uh, you've said before that that released a report in 20, I think it was July 2021, in relation to money laundering the proceeds of environmental crime. It's, it's a big problem now, isn't it? Yes, there's been there's been a push from the FATF to prosecute environmental crime through the lens of money laundering and and having the EU trying to push for the same thing is also a good signal. So, so so we do hope that uh, this case will maybe m make the process quicker, make um, prosecutors more aware of that issue. So one of the things uh, that I wanted to just discuss with you uh, and inviting you onto this podcast to discuss is, first of all, obviously, the fascinating complaint and the nature of the complaint, uh, you know, environmental crimes and money laundering against banks, uh, but also to discuss the sort of overlap in French law and UK law and whether there's any similarities there. You, you talked about some of the French laws involved in UK law. Um, there's a defence for certain money laundering offences of adequate consideration. So in other words, if a, if a suspect pays adequate consideration, then it's not money laundering, if you like. You know, the, the product that they've obtained isn't money laundering as a result. Is there any similar adequate consideration defence or issue in France? So if JBS uh, or um, Marfrig are able to say, well, we paid adequate consideration for our cattle. Um, the slaughterhouses paid adequate consideration for the, the cattle and our consumers are paying adequate consideration for the cattle. So therefore, it, it's not money laundering. Is that an issue for the French complaint? I would say yes and no. There's no ad adequate consideration system in France. And in in our specific case, uh, we, we've pretty much we've been pretty much uh, focusing on showing that there was not adequate consideration from Mayfring and the banks, uh, not even a simple due diligence obligation. Because what we what we've been doing, we've not only been working on doing new investigations with uh, Reporter Brazil and CCCA. But we've also been collecting the public sources that are available on the practices of JBS and Mayfrig and the systematic issues with their supply chains. And we were able to assemble more than 50 reports on it from very reliable sources, investors or very reputable organizations like Amnesty International, 
or even the Guardian or very prominent journalist organizations. So we do think even that defense of adequate consideration consideration will not work here. What may be an issue, and that's an issue that's a global issue that we're also trying to tackle in the French system, is that uh, it's a bit technical, but in France, uh, if you're a bank and you send a suspicion report uh, to uh, the intelligence, the financial, the financial intelligence services, and they don't reply, and you and you keep on investing on the company, then you might, under some some circumstances, benefit from criminal immunity. But yeah, we, same in the UK. Yeah, suspicious activity reports. Yeah, yeah, but we don't. We have good reasons to think that there was no there was no SAR in that specific case, and even if there was a SAR, uh, we have good reasons to think that it could be unconstitutional to provide a broad immunity uh, where you just sent an SAR report and just did nothing about trying to sort out the problems in the supply chains of your clients and do you think that companies and banks particularly alive and aware of environmental crime needing sars suspicious activity reports or, or do you just not get that impression that it's it's really on banks radars at the moment i do think they it's not a concern from them i do think compliance departments are focusing on sanctions uh, financing of terrorism and corruption and other financial crimes, but I don't think I I I didn't find anything uh, any information that might um, uh, that might indicate that they they are they are taking this seriously. Uh, and Taya, perhaps you can help as well. I mean, what what have been the bank's response so far? Do you know? Well, we didn't, uh, as it, it's a criminal procedure, so there's not supposed to be a, a bank response, but even any official uh, response yet, yeah. So the, the procedure is just ongoing. I see. Okay. And and what stage is it at then? Um, yeah, well, so we just filed, uh, as she mentioned, we filed the complaint uh, in November. So it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's a three-month delay, so to open an investigation if the, the, the prosecutor wants to. And if not, then we can consider the other legal avenues we have with this case, which is not uh, yet the case yet. Okay, so if, if in three months time, the prosecutor decides not to open a complaint, what are the options open to Sherpa? Well, there's two options. Um, on paper, if they don't launch an investigation after three months, uh, we 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 would be able to file a civic uh, civil party uh, complaint. This might this might sound a bit exotic for common law lawyers, but then a different investigative judge that is totally independent from the executive power would be able to to take to to take the complaint and do investigations. Um, we, are we going to do that? It's not sure yet because we know the prosecutor's offices are overwhelmed with a lot of complaints. So three months is not, um, they never, they never, they all, they basically very rarely launch investigations after three months in such complex cases. So what we, what we would likely do is just try to see with the prosecutor if they are willing to launch an investigation in the next months or not. 
because it's always good if they launch an investigation. If they don't, we will still have that possibility of filing a civil party complaint and have an investigative judge, which is called a juge d'instruction, uh, to handle that case. So and then the investigating judge sort of takes over responsibility for investigating whether there is something worth uh, prosecuting. Yes, exactly. Okay. And, and both of you, I mean, from Sherpa's perspective, you, you've clearly explained the relevance of money laundering complaints to um, this particular aspect of banks. But looking more widely, I mean, do you see that there is a, a greater use potentially of money laundering laws for achieving environmental objectives? Well, yes, definitely, because uh, environmental crime generates tens of billions of dollars in profits uh, for criminal enterprises every year. And we know that is, this is growing. So um, also one of the goal of this, this procedure is also to shed light on the fact that financial actors have a responsibility in this respect. Um, and in the EU, we have, you, you have some countries that do criminalize at least some crime that is either through specific uh, criminal offenses, uh, like the one I, I mentioned in France, or either through more general environmental offenses, like, for instance, the, the, the offense of endangering the, the environment in general. Um, but legislation is often narrowly drafted and then implemented. And so we believe also, um, and this is also one of our objectives, that the legal frameworks for environmental crimes and related laundering um, must cover the widest possible range of offenses related to environmental crimes. And this would include envi environmental crime, this is an important thing, uh, environmental crimes committed outside of jurisdiction of, of member states. Um, and committed uh, by national residents and including uh, multinational corporations. Okay, well, I'm sure there'll be lawyers, financial institutions and companies following the progress of this case very closely. Um, so thank you very much. All that remains for me is to thank you both for taking the time to discuss these issues uh, with me today and to thank you for listening. Until the next podcast, goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.